Thank you. Chris introduced me. My name is Glenn Farrell. My wife Susan and I and my son Noah moved to Harrodsburg at the end of June uh, last year. So we've been here just under um, 11 months. And as uh, Chris said, I'm a, a minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which many of you may not know very well, as there is only one congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Kentucky down in Letcher County. And uh, the church is uh, 80, uh, 84 years old. It was started in 1936, came out of the fundamentalist, uh, modernist uh, controversies of the 20s and 30s. And one of our founders was a scholar by the name of J. Gresham Machen, who taught at Princeton Seminary for years. But when Princeton was taken over by the liberals, he started Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia with uh, men like uh, John Murray and Cornelius Van Til. Had a tremendous influence upon um, Presbyterianism in America in reclaiming our roots. But uh, we're a sister denomination, part of a group called the North American Presbyterian um, Alliance, NAPARC, um, Presbyterian and Reformed Churches. And um, therefore, it's often that ministers and members move between one denomination and the other. So I'm privileged to be here. I've only had opportunity in the last year to preach, I believe, three times. And after being 35 years in the ministry, it's very difficult going from preparing two sermons and a Bible study every week to only preaching occasionally, so I welcome the opportunity when I get it to preach. My, um, I'm a native Kentuckian. As uh, Chris said, I served the congregation for ten and a half years in San Francisco, and that faithful congregation has been there in that wicked city for, uh, uh, since 1944. And one of the privileges of serving there was that each week as we had uh, believers who would come to the city looking for a faithful church. It was a rare week that we didn't have out-of-town visitors and quite often visitors from out-of-country. So it was one of the great joys of being there in what many consider a very wicked city, but a very beautiful city and a place uh, people would ask my, my wife and I when we moved there, how can you go to such a wicked city? Well, it wasn't any more wicked than Ephesus or Corinth or Athens or places that the Apostle Paul went to. And we were privileged to serve there. And prior to that, I was a pastor in uh, Boise, Idaho. And prior to that, I lived and ministered in Menifee County, Kentucky for 18 years where my children grew up. And two of my children live in Lexington and Georgetown. Uh, one correction to what Chris said. My wife and I actually have 20 grandchildren. <laughs> Before I, we start, let's pray together. Our Father and gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for your heavenly bread, that it may nourish us in the way of eternal life. Open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that in the scriptures read and in your word proclaimed, we may hear your voice with joy and hear and believe what you're saying to us today. In you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word. 
and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom, your grace, your blessing, and your salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We come to a critical point in the life of the Apostle Paul. After long ministry, he has said, the time of my departure is at hand. He knows that the end will come soon. People speculate as to uh, exactly where this is in the life of the Apostle Paul. You remember the book of Acts ends in chapter 28 with Paul in prison, actually under house arrest in Rome for the space of two years. And Luke just ends the, the book of Acts at that point. Well, some people have speculated that because if one was under arrest in Rome for two years without someone bringing charges, that he was perhaps released. And you may remember in the 15th chapter of the book of Romans, Paul had written that several years before to the Romans, anticipating a visit to Rome where he had never been before. He didn't realize he was going to come as a prisoner. But he said there in Romans 15, I want to visit you on my way to Spain. He said, I've taken the gospel to all, uh, to all the places in the east, uh, from Jerusalem to as far away as Illyricum. Uh, the book of Acts doesn't tell us about him going to Illyricum. So there are details in the ministry and journeys of the Apostle Paul that sometimes Luke does not tell us in that gospel. Illyricum is up in what today is Croatia. Um, in the Balkans. And so he had taken the gospel as far as there. And it may be that the Apostle Paul was released after two years under house arrest and that he did that journey to Spain. There's even some that speculate he may have made it as far as Britain. And there are some who say that he came to what is now London and preached on Lud Hill where the, the St. Paul's Cathedral sits there today. Now that's speculation. We can't know it definitively from Scripture. But we know at this point, Paul's in prison, and it may be a, a subsequent uh, imprisonment, and he's locked away in a cold, damp, dark cell, awaiting the final decision regarding his imprisonment and probably his execution. So he says, my time is at hand. It's a critical time, as, as we all uh, face sometimes critical times in our lives or in the lives of others. I went through one of those a little more than a year ago. My father, who was just a couple weeks short of his 97th birthday, passed away, and I was in California and hadn't seen him for some time because of the pandemic and not being able to travel. But the passing of a parent is a critical point in one's life. It makes one consider their own lives, their own mortality, their own end, and what do we want to accomplish in whatever God has given us. And so here's a critical point in the life of the apostle. And here we find among his final words in 2 Timothy, probably the last book he wrote, we know that it was written after the book of Titus, which follows the books of the letters of the apostle Paul are not arranged in chronological order in our New Testament. But he wants to give his final directions, his final directives to Timothy. And those are three that we find here. There's actually a fourth one when he warns him about Alexander the coppersmith. But we have three of them in this passage. 
One is Timothy, come soon and don't delay. The second is bring Mark with you. And the third is bring those things that I left in Troas. A cloak, some books, and the parchments. So here we have Timothy, come soon. And he gives the reason for that. For Demas has departed. Timothy. He speaks of him at the beginning of this book in 2 Timothy 1 verse 2. And calls him my dear beloved son. A great affection for him. He speaks in verse 4 of that chapter as greatly desiring to see him. Remembering Timothy's tears And as he thinks of it, it fills him with joy. They have a relationship here. One of the things that's apparent in this passage is that the Apostle Paul was not simply a lone ranger out there ministering. He collected young men as he went along who were participants, partners with him in the ministry. Indeed, it seems that he was something of a traveling seminary as he taught them and sent them on missions. And Timothy was one. He'd recruited him in one of the churches in Galatia and brought him with him and had trained him and sent him to various places. At one point when he wrote 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy was in, in Crete and they are ordering the church there. And now he's in Ephesus. So he says, Timothy, come soon. Come soon. Actually, come soon may be, um, may be uh, too mild It's hasten, make every effort, be diligent that you come soon. And how was he to come? Ephesus is far away. Ephesus actually in a straight line from Rome to Ephesus is 833 miles. No airplanes or even train schedules in those days. And the driving distance, if you went by land, would be 1,240 miles. Long way from Ephesus to to, um, to Rome, the way he may have traveled, because he mentions when you go through Troas, bring these things to me. The intention was for Timothy to travel north from Ephesus overland to Troas, then to probably board ship and cross the Aegean Sea uh, to Macedonia, and then travel by land across Macedonia and Greece to the Adriatic Sea, travel by ship from there to uh, Brundisium on the eastern coast of Italy and then by land to Rome, a trip that would take at least a month, if not more. And remember, here's a letter that's going to Timothy that may take a month to get there and then a month for him to come. And yet he says, hasten, be diligent, Make every effort, even in spite of the difficulties of travel and the time that it will take, it's important that you be here. And then he gives a reason. One of the reasons is that Demas has departed to Thessalonica. Here is Paul in prison in Rome. But, and here is Demas who has left him. Now, Demas was one who had been very much a part of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Uh, When the Apostle had written the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon, he mentions uh, Demas in both of those books. And I'm I'm, I'm speculating that this was the first imprisonment uh, when he was under house arrest in Rome. 
uh, that he was writing to the book, to Colossians and to the man Philemon. And in Colossians, he mentions those who were with him. He mentions Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas. And tells the Colossians, they greet you. They greet you. And then when he wrote the book of Philemon, uh, in verse 24, remember Philemon's only one little chapter, he mentions there Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. So Demas was one that he had invested in, one that he had great hopes for, one that he saw would be useful in the ministry. And yet here, Demas has departed. He has forsaken him. He's left him in the lurch, as we might say, at a critical moment, deserted in the midst of a dire situation. A critical time, he has gone. And I suspect that if you've been a believer for some time, you've experienced that. Close friends, fellow church members, people that you've invested time in, people that you had great hopes for, and yet they depart from the faith or depart from the work that was important for them to do. It says here that Demas was one who uh, had, had loved this present world. Perhaps it was too much for him, the deprivation, the difficulty, the suffering. It was just too much and he had to move on to something else. Perhaps he illustrates what Jesus talked about, about the rocky soil the tribulations that come upon one who expresses their faith in Jesus, but the tribulations are just too much. Perhaps he went off to pursue other ambitions, other things that were more important. Perhaps Thessalonica was home. That's where he went. It's time to go home, not to hang around Rome with the apostle in prison. But it's not a matter of where he went. It's a matter of why he went. It says that he went because of the love of this world. The um, first epistle of John talks about the love of this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. We seek pleasure in itself. Seek to enjoy the things of this world rather than seeing them as pointing to the God who created them and enjoying him in praise of him. We seek them for just what they mean to us. Or we seek wealth and riches for our own comfort and our own enjoyment rather than how we might use the things that God has given us to advance His cause. The lust of the eye, I take to mean our, our covetousness, looking at things that we don't have and yet we want them. And the pride of life, pride, great sin, being more concerned about the praise of how others will look at us rather than how God sees us. And the, and the epistle of 1 John says that all these things are passing away. All these things are passing away. The apostle Paul, on the other hand, in previous verses in chapter 4, he talks about a greater crown of righteousness that he will inherit. And yet Demas does not quite see that. Very easy for us to speculate that Demas had somehow become a heretic or had gone off to some scandalous sin and yet there's another possibility too 
John Calvin wrote in his commentary, we must not suppose that he altogether denied Christ or gave himself up either to ungodliness or to the allurements of the world, but he merely preferred his private convenience or his safety to the life of Paul. You know, sometimes all of us are tempted to pursue good things at the expense of the best thing. So it's a temptation that we all can be subject to and need to be careful about. All of us are more vulnerable to this than perhaps the temptations to heresy or scandalous sin, but we desert our post at a critical moment. As I said, sometimes those who are closest to us hurt us more than those who are outside the faith, the enemies of Christ. I've experienced that in both of the last congregations that I served. I had men that I had great hope for, elders in the church. I had great hope for the future of those congregations, and yet they both departed. In some sense, they left off the work that I believe God was calling them to. And we all share our disappointments. Sometimes it's our children who become prodigals. Sometimes it's our friends who desert us. Our companions who are no longer there. And here's Paul at this critical moment. And yet he is alone. He goes on to mention others. Not that they have deserted. Probably the apostle Paul had sent them off on missions that were important. He mentions Crescens who had gone to Galatia. Galatia, those churches in southern what we call Turkey today. It was called Asia Minor in those days. They had to cross the Adriatic and cross the Aegean to, to go there. These were strong churches that the Apostle Paul had established on the first missionary journey and visited on his second. Crescens is unknown except here. It's not named in any of the other letters of the Apostle Paul. But apparently, since he was going to these strong churches, he, he must have been a strong, capable, faithful man. He's someone who is basically unknown to us. And we should remember that sometimes it's people who are unknown to most of us, but are known to God, and they're faithful in the work of God. The next man, Titus, has gone to Dalmatia. There are 13 mentions of Titus, and Paul wrote a letter to him, which was written before this letter. In that first letter, in, in, uh, in that letter, he was in Crete there as an evangelist to set things in order there. Dalmatia, I mentioned that the Apostle Paul mentions in, in Romans 15 that he had preached as far as Illyricum, which I said is in Galatia. That's the area actually that's called Dalmatia. You probably only know about it because of the dog that takes its name from there, Dalmatians. There on the shore of the Adriatic, across the Adriatic, uh, in the Balkans. And there, here, Titus, who is faithful, his faithfulness is well known. He's a capable equipper of the church. And there he is, uh, serving there. He mentions Tychicus. He's sent to Ephesus. Uh, we mention, he mentions Tychicus in Ephesians and Colossians and Titus uh, 3 he is mentioned. And probably he's from Asia Minor. That is where Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. And Tychicus had accompanied Paul on his last journey to Jerusalem when he went to take gifts to the saints there in Judea. 
And it's very likely that he was the one who delivered the letter to the Ephesians and the letter to the Colossians. He was a messenger. And he's probably the one who's taking this letter of 2 Timothy to Timothy there in Ephesus. And perhaps he is Timothy's replacement there who will stay and set the church in order and advise them after Timothy has gone to Rome to Paul. But he says, only Luke is with me. Only Luke. And he's been there ever since on the, sec- on the uh, uh, second missionary journey. Uh, he was in, he was in um, uh, Troas. And there wondering what to do. The missionary band had tried to go to the left. And the Holy Spirit somehow hindered them. They tried to go to the right. And the Holy Spirit somehow indicated no. And they come to Troas there on the Aegean Sea. And where do we go from now? For now. And the apostle Paul had a dream in the middle of the night, a man from Macedonia, saying, come over here and help us. And he woke up in the morning and apparently shared that dream with his companions. And there we find the first we passage in the book of Acts. We, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go to Macedonia. And there is Luke talking about Paul and we, he travels with him. To Jerusalem, he stays with him in his imprisonment there in Caesarea. He travels on the ship that is almost is shipwrecked on an island in the Mediterranean and on to Rome and is there with the apostle in his house imprisonment. Maybe Luke is, um, is his scribe as he is writing this letter. The apostle Paul used the scribe typically. Uh, he's his secretary and he's taking down Paul's own words. Paul mentions him as a physician. He's his attendant physician, even in these difficult times. And he's a Gentile. He's a Gentile believer, not a Jewish believer, but a Gentile believer who gives us a gospel and the book of Acts. He's a faithful man. But the second directive was get Mark and bring him because he can be useful to me in the ministry. Now, what was Mark's history? Mark was from Jerusalem. It seems that his home, his house, his family house in Jerusalem was one of the centers of the church. It may have even been the same house in which Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room or the house where the apostles gathered on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them. This Mark, also called John Mark, he was the nephew of Barnabas. And, of course, he went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. He traveled with them. And at one point, he deserts them. He leaves them and goes back to Jerusalem. The apostle Paul and Barnabas continued the missionary journey. And when they returned and after the Jerusalem council, uh, the apostle uh, uh, Paul and And Barnabas decides that it's time to go on another missionary journey. And Barnabas wants to take Mark with him. And Paul says, no, not that shirker. He's not worthy to go. And Barnabas and Paul have a great disagreement about that. It shows that brothers sometimes can disagree about things in the church. And so... Paul takes Silas and goes off one way, and Barnabas takes Mark and goes another. Now, who was right? 
You can say that Paul was considered the work of the ministry, the work of the mission, so important that he needed to be careful about who was going, who was part of that. But we can also say that Barnabas, who was a man of encouragement, saw greater potential in this young Mark. Mark was one who had deserted, like Demas had deserted. But yet, sometime during that first imprisonment of Paul, he mentions there in Philemon 24 that Mark was one of those with him and he was a fellow laborer. So they'd been reconciled at that point. And in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter mentions him there as Marcus, my son. So later, Mark is going to be there with Peter in Rome, hearing the gospel from Peter. The gospel of Mark is largely the gospel of Peter, recorded by, by Mark, who was not an apostle, not one of the original disciples, but had become a faithful man. The shirker who's become a worker for the kingdom. And now in this critical time, the apostle Paul says, bring Mark, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And that should be an encouragement to us. Here is a missionary dropout who became an evangelist, a shirker who became a worker, a past failure once rejected by the Apostle Paul. He's made his comeback. And here he's here for Paul's departure from this life in this critical time. Shows the grace of God that there's even hope for the Demases among us. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 21. A man had two sons, and he said to one of them, Go and work today in the vineyard. His son said, I will not. But later, he changed his mind, and he went. He went to his second son and said, Go and work in the vineyard. He said, I will. But he didn't go. And Jesus asked the question, Which of the two did the will of the Father? And the answer was the first. The first who said, I will not, but who went, he did the work of the Father. Mark is like that first son who said no, but now he does the Father's will. He was the prodigal and the deserter, and our prodigals and our deserters, perhaps ourselves, sometimes we've been prodigal or sometimes we've been deserters, but we can find forgiveness and we can find usefulness in the kingdom of the Lord. He also says, bring my cloak and the books and the parchments that I left with Carpus in Troas. We don't know much about Carpus other than here, but the route, as I said, of Timothy would take him from Ephesus to Troas and then across the sea to Macedonia and across the uh, Adriac to Italy and then on to Rome. And he says, I've left some things there. It's, it's perhaps the place where the apostle stayed. Remember uh, the, when he was traveling back from his second missionary journey, for his third missionary journey, he stopped at Troas. He preached till midnight. Eutychus fell out of the window and was like dead until Paul prayed over him and he was brought up alive. Perhaps it was the same house. Perhaps the church meets in the house of, uh, of Carpus. But, um, and he seems to be one who cared for those who went in service of the kingdom. He was one who stayed home 
everyone can't go off to be a missionary. Everyone can't be a minister of the gospel, but we can be helpful and encouraging and supportive of those who do. At one point, I worked for uh, World Vision, the uh, Christian Relief and Development Organization. World Vision International, in its beginning, had an evangelism component. And one of the men who led that evangelism component was an Indian man from Madras named Sam Kamalason. And Sam was one who would go into countries and do pastors' conferences even behind the Iron Curtain in those days. And so he traveled a lot. His wife and his children were left behind in California. And I remember him saying once, he was saying that though his wife couldn't go, she was supportive of his ministry. And the one who stayed with the baggage shared equally in the reward of those who went to fight. You may remember that comes from 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 24, when David made it a rule that, um, that those who go down to the battle, uh, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies, and they shall share alike. So sometimes you may feel like you're in the background, praying for missionaries, praying for pastors, praying for the work of the kingdom, and no one may not even recognize it. You may be an unknown like Carpus. And yet you have a role to play in the advancement of the kingdom that's very important. Sometimes far more important than those who are recognized, who are up front. Bring my cloak, he says. Bring my cloak. Down in verse 21 it says, try to come before winter. You can imagine, here's Paul in this cold, damp, stone cell with no fire at night and winter is coming Bring that cloak and try to come before winter. I came across a, a, a quote of a, a note that William Tyndale wrote. William Tyndale, the man who translated the Bible from the Greek and Hebrew uh, manuscripts, the first man to do that into English. And he had to flee and hide and he was imprisoned in Belgium and eventually he would be executed. But he wrote to the... Um, uh, the governor of the prison while he was there, and he says, I beg your lordship, and that by the Lord Jesus, that if I am to remain here for the winter, you will request the commissary to be so kind as to send me from the goods of mine which he has, a warm cap. I feel the cold painfully in my head and am afflicted by a perpetual cough, which is most increased in this sale. A warmer cloak also for this which I have is very thin. A piece of cloth too to patch my leggings. He has a woolen shirt if he will be good enough to send it. And I also ask to be allowed to have a lamp in the evening. It is a wearisome thing sitting alone in the dark. But most of all, my Hebrew Bible, grammar, and dictionary that I may spend my time in that pursuit. But if any other decision has been taken concerning me to be carried out before winter, I will be patient, abiding the will of God, to the glory of the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ, whose spirit, I pray, may even direct your heart. He trusts that the Lord is in charge. But here he wanted his warmer clothing. 
but he also wanted his books so that he could study. And the Apostle Paul is like that. He wants his cloak. He says, bring the books and the parchment. Books. He's still learning. The Apostle Paul, who wrote inspired word of God, and yet he's still learning. John Calvin writes about this passage, let, let all be exhorted. Let all be exhorted by what is here taught to profit during our whole life in such a manner that they shall never slacken their exhortations till they no longer see in part or in a mirror but behold the glory of God face to face. As long as we are alive, we are to seek and we are to pray that we might, as we increase in age, also grow in grace and in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he not only asked for books, he asked for parchments. And there's a lot of speculation about what were these parchments? Were they copies of the Old Testament scriptures that the apostle wanted to be able to study? Were they perhaps original copies of the letters that he had written that he wanted to have on hand and pass on to those after he was gone? Some have speculated that they may have been early accounts of the life and the words of Jesus himself. You know, the, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels. They're different than the Gospel of John in that they follow a different order. But they, they, they follow along essentially the same order in the life of Jesus and many of the words of Jesus. Some people have speculated that there may have been a document uh, that had the sayings of Jesus that was preserved. And perhaps that is among these parchments. that The Apostle Paul wants to be preserved and wants to pass on. You may remember in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he, he says to him, Keep that which I've committed to your trust. And in, in chapter 1 of, of, of this letter, 2 Timothy, he says, The good thing which I was committed unto you, keep by the Holy Ghost, which delivers, which delivers, which dwells in us. So he's told to guard the deposit of the gospel. And it may be that here, in the last days of the Apostle Paul, he wants Timothy to come, Luke is there, he wants him to bring Mark, and here is Mark and Luke, and perhaps they will go over these documents of the life and the, and the words of Jesus which will result in the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Mark. See, Paul is still in the process of strategizing. He may be facing death, but God's work will continue. And so he desires these three important commodities. He desires Timothy, his son, his faithful partner in the ministry. He desires Mark who once was a deserter, but now is useful in the ministry, and he desires the Scriptures, the Word of God. Paul is thinking of and providing for the kingdom's advance, even after he is gone. It's not dependent upon him, but it's dependent upon the continuing work of Christ, who's seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven, making his enemies his footstool by the power of the Holy Spirit, using his word and working through his servants, the apostles and the evangelists and those who will follow him. See, that's how the book of Acts begins. 
Luke says, I, I, I've accounted in my former work, in the gospel, I've accounted the work and the words of Jesus, but here he's writing of the continuing work of Jesus. Jesus is still at work. Jesus is seated in heaven. Jesus is making his enemies his footstool. And we're called to be part of that. You know, we have all the the busy things of our ordinary everyday life that we need to do and take care of. We need to be responsible for our families and our jobs. But ultimately, we are stewards of those things. And our, the most critical thing is the advancement of the kingdom of God. Whether it's in the quiet way of a carpus or a, 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 a crescent, maybe as someone who will not be recorded in Christian history as playing an important role. Or someone like Timothy or Mark or Luke who will have a much more prominent role. But there are rewards in heaven. As God looks on what we accomplish in Jesus Christ, and so he's still at work. Jesus is at work in his church of all ages, including this present age, this present time, and in you and in this congregation. So the lessons that we find here, is get our priorities straight. Watch for the critical points of kingdom advance, of growth in knowledge and grace in our own lives and in the lives of others. I found at times sometimes when I have been overwhelmed by everything that seemed to need to be done, and I've asked God, how in the world can I do all of this in the limited time that I have? My sense was, I need to do the one most important thing and leave the rest to him. And I believe that if you feel overwhelmed and you say, God, what should I do now? You will know the next step that you should take. You don't need to know the whole journey. You just need to know how to be faithful in this moment. Rather than getting sidetracked and going off to other things, what is the most important thing for you to do at this moment for your good and the good of others and the glory of God? And don't be discouraged when some fail you because some will fail you. But there will be others that God will raise up and God is in charge and God will accomplish his purpose in spite of the failure of those that you've invested in those that you placed great hope in, those that hurt you and left you feeling deserted, and yet God is in charge. And we find here that there is hope, even for deserters and shirkers like Mark. And there's hope for you and for me, even in our weakness and even in our failings. As we look back over our lives, as, as we grow older, we do that more and more. We see those areas where we could have done better, where we should have done differently, where we didn't achieve what we might have, but we live and walk by the grace of God, and He forgives, and the important thing is, what are we doing today for God's glory, that His name would be glorified, and for the good of others, and for our own good? Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy.
to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen.